The Biden administration has thrown its weight behind the adoption of a global minimum tax on corporations. The move, they say, is meant to address rampant and exploding global inequality. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us once again for our regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, the crimes of big business. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program we appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show richard wolf is the co-founder of the organization democracy at work and the author of many books the latest being the sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com that's rdwolff.com Richard Wolf, welcome back. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Thank you for joining. So Janet Yellen, she's for the global minimum tax rate. Joe Biden is for it. Not everyone is for it. I'm looking at Nobel Prize winner economist Angus Deaton. He says a wealth tax is a bad way to pay off pandemic debts and would probably become permanent if introduced. Anyway, Is it impactful? What does it mean? Is Angus Deaton right? Well, let's unpack it. First of all, Janet Yellen's comments and that of other administration officials about how this proposal for a global minimum tax is intended to um, address income and wealth inequality is, and I'm going to be polite now, inaccurate on two counts. Number one, if such a tax were passed, it would have very little impact on inequality because of the low level at which it would be passed, number one. Number two, what impact it would have would also depend on what was done with the money that such a tax would raise. Since that's not clear or specified, neither for the United States nor for any of the other countries that would be involved, making a judgment that doing this is ipso facto a diminution of inequality is simply make-believe. The second issue is a little harsher. Mr. Biden has a very modest plan to raise the corporate tax rate in this country from 21%, that's in the United States now, from 21% to 28%. Put in context, you need to remember that the tax cut of the Trump administration passed in December of 2017 
reduced the corporate tax rate at that time from 35% to 21%. So Mr. Biden's daring effort is to bring it back merely halfway to what Mr. Trump cut. And in 2017, corporations in America, businesses in general, were coming off the best 30-year growth in their profits in history. If ever there was a time that corporations did not need a tax cut, that was the time. But because the Republicans controlled the presidency in both houses, they could and, of course, did give an enormous gift to corporations and the rich, as I say, at a time that they didn't need it. But as if that weren't bad enough, Mr. Biden's proposal to halfway return it from 21 to 28 percent has already hit a mountain of opposition, not just from Republicans who are opposed to whatever he does, but to the business community. A recent survey by the Business Roundtable, one of the major business lobbying types of groups, showed a result that 98% of the CEOs they surveyed were opposed to raising it at all, let alone back to 35 and not even to Mr. Biden's 28. And they use the argument, which is not honest either, but they use the argument, gee, if you raise the corporate tax, even if it's only halfway back to what Trump reduced it from, then corporations, we corporations, will leave the United States and go to countries that have low or no corporate tax rates. In other words, the business community in America is threatening Mr. Biden and the government that if you dare tax us, even if it's only halfway back to what it was, we will leave. This is pure blackmail. And therefore, what the Yellen comment is about is to say, wait a minute, you won't have to worry. We're going to go on a tear to raise corporate taxes to a certain kind of minimum everywhere in the world, and that will at least reduce any need for you to think about leaving because you won't do that much better elsewhere than you're going to be doing under us at a 28% rate. Last point. One of the most remarkable things about corporate taxes in the United States over recent decades has been the ability of corporations to hide their profits and to evade taxes on their profits. They do that in a whole host of ways. They pay a fortune to lawyers, accountants, economists, and so on to first of all, change the law. That's what their lobbyists are for. And then to use whatever loopholes they've built into the law to pay little or no taxes. That's why it's so easy every year for a variety of researchers to demonstrate that literally dozens, dozens of large corporations pay no income tax at all. So for them, Whatever the rate is doesn't matter because they've got in place mechanisms to evade it. So if you put all this together, what we have here is another of the endless scams through which corporations avoid taxes. And the, the struggle over the rates is a detail and claiming that it's all about reducing 
income and wealth inequality is, as I'm trying to be polite, a misleading way of presenting what's going on. Richard, as the U.S. crossed the line, the threshold, where there was more than a half a million, now it's 550,000 plus deaths from the COVID pandemic. That's all in the last year. I mean, what a year. But a year ago in March, this is when it all started. The nation's billionaires reaped extraordinary financial gains. After 11 months, that was up until about six weeks ago, where millions of people lost their jobs, 60 million applied for unemployment insurance, 8 million lost their health care. U.S. billionaire wealth increased $1.3 trillion since mid-March, $1.3 trillion. An increase of 44%, an increase, everyone, of 44% for billionaire wealth. Explain, if you would, whether or not this gigantic exponential increase in billionaire wealth was linked to the reduction in the corporate tax rate adopted with the tax, so-called tax reform under Trump? Yes, of course it was, because the tax cut basically said to corporations and the rich who got the lion's share of it, that billions, many, many billions of dollars that they had been prepared to pay in taxes would not have to be paid. That was money that they could keep. And like the money they borrow from the Federal Reserve, which is an even larger sum, what corporations are doing with the taxes they don't have to pay and the loans they can get at virtually zero interest rate from the Central Bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve, what they are doing is precisely not investing it in producing more or hiring people because with uh, 25 million people unemployed, with the labor force participation rate down, that is the percentage of our people that are either working or even looking for a work job, you can't sell even what you're producing now. There's absolutely no point for corporations to ramp up their capability to produce when they cannot reasonably expect to sell it. So what are they doing with the money that they don't have to pay in taxes? What are they doing with the money they borrow from the Federal Reserve? Well, they're putting it into the one place where it's still possible to make a quick buck, and that place is called the stock market. They go in there with that money. They buy up huge blocks of stock, hoping that three, four, five weeks from now, somebody else in exactly the same position as they are, borrowing money from the Fed, saving billions on taxes, will come in and buy those shares at a higher price from them, hoping to repeat this activity. And over the last year, repeating that activity is exactly what happened. The stock market has had the inflation people keep saying hasn't arrived yet. It has arrived. It hasn't arrived in the rising price of the goods and services in the stores, although that's coming. It has focused itself on the stock market, driving up the prices to record levels, and that's why the billionaires got that much richer. Their growth in wealth, their extra trillion, as you put it, is really the growth in the value of the stocks that they own, buy, and sell. Since the vast majority of Americans either have no stocks or a trivial quantity of stocks, 
parenthetically, let me remind everyone, the richest 10% of Americans own about 80 to 85% of all the stocks. So they're the ones, already the richest, who have become richer by this arrangement. And final point, the government is by no means an innocent bystander. Relying on the Federal Reserve's monetary policy, which is keeping interest rates low and lending money left and right, those people who do that, people like Janet Yellen from the Federal Reserve before and Mr. Powell now, they know exactly that this kind of policy under current circumstances channels the money into the stock market, raising the prices of stocks that are overwhelmingly owned by the richest people. So when they bemoan the rising inequality, which they like to do, they are bemoaning something for which they bear as much responsibility as anybody else. Final point. If you really cared about inequality, then you would say to the richest Americans, those billionaires you refer to whose wealth went up, before COVID hit, you were already the 600 richest people, the billionaires in the United States. If we tax away all of the increase in your wealth and use it to help the mass of people, that would lift everybody in the, among the poor, the working class, the middle class, and it would still leave you the richest people. This would be called, if you like, an excess wealth tax or an excess profits tax. And we've done that in the United States before, so it's no great New Deal thing. It was done in World Wars One and Two when the governments at that time said, any business in America making money off the war should contribute whatever gains in profits they got from the war to the country to help all of the families that are losing someone in the armed forces or someone injured or losing their jobs. We're going to levy, and they did, an excess profits tax. Absolutely similar could be done now. That would be a quick, easy way to do something about inequality by going directly to the question, who's got the money and who doesn't? That isn't even being discussed. And that makes comments like, we're going to have a global minimum tax to address inequality, the um, disingenuous kinds of political comments that Americans mostly now know how to recognize. Richard, I want to ask you, if the government reduces its own revenue, the revenue is reduced a lot if the tax rate goes from 35 to 21%, the corporate tax rate, and then it was lowered also for individuals, the government deliberately and systematically and comprehensively limits its own revenue streams. And at the same time, it has to you know, pay for things that, in the case of the last year, things that it had not anticipated. I mean, with all the bailouts, the relief packages, et cetera, trillions of dollars of additional money spent. Now, traditionally, you would think the government has this revenue that comes from taxes, and it has liabilities, it has bills that it has to pay. And so the tax revenue pays for its liabilities. Now, if the tax revenue is diminished greatly and the expenditures, the liabilities go up greatly, 
the government in this case just seems to rely on printing money. So I'm wondering, is this, obviously the US dollar is the world you know, reserve currency. Can all governments do this? And are there consequences? Yes. First, let's be clear about the mechanism. One part of the government has to borrow the money. It can't print the money. That's the U.S. Treasury. In order for the government to spend more money, whether it's on COVID or any other program, if the government is going to spend more money than it raises in taxes under existing laws and customs, what the government has to do is borrow the money. And the way this works is literally that the U.S. Treasury, under the president, that's the responsible body, goes into financial markets on Wall Street, borrowing money from anyone it can find, an individual, a business, American, foreign, it doesn't matter, anyone who will lend to the government the money that covers the deficit between what they raise in taxes and what they're spending. And so it does that. And it issues to anybody who lends money to the Treasury to cover these expenses, it issues a document. It's called the Treasury Security. Depending on how long it lasts, it's either a Treasury bill or a Treasury note or a Treasury bond. That's what the names are. At just the length of the loan, that's all that that means. And so what happens is that wealthy people and big corporations and foreign governments are the main lenders. So let me explain then how this works. It takes a minute, but it'll clarify it forever for for anyone listening. Let's start with the rich Americans and the rich uh, U.S. corporations. They are approached by the government to lend them money, which they do. And what is it that they lend to the government? They lend to the government as much as they want to. But a good part of what they lend to the government is the money that the government no longer raises in taxes. In other words, if you look at this from the point of view of rich people and corporations in America, this is the greatest deal imaginable. Mr. Trump lowered my taxes from 35% to 21%, saving me billions if I was indeed paying taxes. And the same government then comes to me, having lowered my taxes, and says to me, I, I need to borrow because I can't spend what I have to spend with lower revenues from taxes. Would you please lend it to me? Sure, say the rich Americans and the big corporations. They're laughing all the way to the bank. Because instead of paying taxes, in which their money would have been taken from them by the government, they are instead allowed to lend the same money to the government with this difference. After a certain number of years, the government will give it back to them. And during those years, it will pay them a nice interest every year for having borrowed the money. So from the point of view of corporations and wealthy people, when the government runs a deficit, they yell hurrah. They don't do it publicly because they have to go through the ritual that Americans like of pretending that the government shouldn't live beyond its means and other homilies like that. But the truth of it is they are the major beneficiaries. The other lender to the United States government are foreign countries. 
They do that because that's, and I haven't the time to do that now, that's a way of manipulating exchange rates between, for example, Chinese currency and U.S. currency, and that affects international trade. So it is foreign governments will lend to the United States. It's a little bizarre that poor countries around the world are lending money to the richest country or one of the richest in the world, but that's the least of the distortions that modern capitalism uh, engages. Now, last point. The rich individual who now owns a security of the U.S. Treasury, what they got in exchange for lending money to cover the deficit, they have the right to go to the Federal Reserve and sell that Treasury security to the Federal Reserve, which is the part of the government that is legally allowed to, as you put it, print the money. They do that. They print it and use it to buy the treasury securities from the corporation that got that treasury security or the rich person by lending to the federal government. Often these transactions happen in the same day. So at one o'clock, a billion dollars is lent to the United States government by the Chase Manhattan Bank. At 1.30, the Chase Manhattan Bank sells that security to the Federal Reserve, replenishing its money. Thereby, the government has gotten the money from Chase, but Chase has gotten fresh new money from the Federal Reserve, and all of this is going on as a way to allow the government to spend more than it takes in revenue in just such a way that is most profitable for corporations and people rich enough to be lenders to the U.S. government. If you never heard about this before and you didn't know it, it's because, and I hate to bring this to you, you're not among the people who lend money to the United States government. Richard, the Chinese government, one of those foreign governments that you mentioned, has been a large purchaser of federal bonds. Right. And you said there was federal notes, federal bonds. And bills. And federal bills. Now, they owned, mm, as of a few years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, $2 trillion in government bonds. I'm wondering if after 2009 or 2008, 2009 fiscal crisis, banking crisis, and economic contraction, and the government starts the process of quantitative easing, does that have the, whereby the U.S. government is now basically giving American banks huge, vast sums of money, no strings attached, and also large loan guarantees on top of that. But quantitative easing, meaning I'm going to guess here, this is the printing money part of the government. Does it have the impact of diminishing or deflating the significance of the Chinese investment in American bonds? No, because the way bonds work, when interest rates go down, the value of that bond, the price of that bond you can get if you sell it, goes up. And therefore, when the United States government had its economic difficulties, first in the year 2000 with the uh, dot-com crash, then again in 2008 with the subprime mortgage crash, and now again with the uh, COVID crash, in each of those, the Federal Reserve decided that the thing it had to do in order to have this game played that I just described to you, making lots of money for people who are already rich enough, 
Um, when you drive down interest rates, you drive up the value of the bonds. So in fact, the decline of interest rates over the last 20 years to near zero has given the Chinese, who were at the beginning of this 20-year period, the largest government in the world in terms of how much U.S. debt it owned, it gave them an enormous capital gain. And it was wonderful for them. It was a great boon to their well-being and their economic growth. Likewise, since they hold so much debt, every year the government has to pay interest on all of its outstanding debt, including that owned by the Chinese, which means the United States government has to collect from you and me taxes, all kinds of taxes, and then simply is a transmission agency. It collects the taxes from us and ships it over to Beijing because they have to pay interest on the debt, and it's the People's Republic of China that owns a huge amount of that debt. So the problems of the United States have been handled in such a way that it has been very beneficial to the Chinese. However, because of the interest first by the Trump administration and now by Biden to rev up a new Cold War against China, they have had to protect themselves by reducing their holdings of U.S. treasuries for fear that as part of a political game, the United States might, might, I stress the word might, at some point start interfering with paying back these loans to the Chinese who've lent us that money. It would be a very desperate act, a very dangerous act, because the Chinese would never again lend to us, and many other lenders to the United States would see this as the sign of an economic system in decline, which is what it would be. So you, you can see that the United States is not going to do that unless indeed it gets desperate. But the Chinese are no longer, if my numbers are up to date, are no longer the largest holder of U.S. debt. That role has now been taken over by the Japanese who now are number one. They were number two before. But that's a sign of the another one of these signs of the deteriorating situation, not only of U.S.-China relations, but of the U.S. economy itself, that it is functioning in this way. But it will continue because all of the things we've discussed are ways in which rich people get richer. And they use their wealth, which should surprise no one, to control the political system, to get the kinds of policies that continue to make them richer. It's gotten so out of hand that those who can see it, which include very rich capitalists like Warren Buffett and even Jeffrey Bezos the other day, chimed in. I mean, he never says these things, so there's not much reason to put much uh, credence in it. But Warren Buffett has consistently said, we're being crazy. We, by this constantly increasing inequality, by manipulating the tax system, he gave a famous quote in which he said, he pays a lower rate of taxation than his secretary does. And he was right about that because he's able to use all the loopholes that big business has put into the law to escape his taxes, as I mentioned before. But he's afraid that the inequality has gone so far that corporations and the rich 
are at risk of killing the goose that lays their golden eggs, to borrow from an old children's story. And he's quite right. The rush to keep going in this direction, the fact that the Biden administration won't even reverse the situation, but will only propose to go halfway back to the outrage committed by Mr. Trump and won't even get that 28%, the dealings and bargainings, not only with Republicans, but with uh, recalcitrant Democrats from a number of states, means he won't even get that. These are signs that the people at the upper end of the American society are just willing to push this and push this until it blows up in their face. Even events like the rise of socialism in America, of which your program is part, the rise of votes for Bernie, the rise of AOC, even the attack on the Capitol from the other side of the political spectrum. These are all signs that you are pushing too many people to hold on to the consensus that holds this society together. That is the key issue going forward. Richard, uh, last point. I'm looking at a picture of Janet Yellen. It's a Reuters story. She looks very earnest, by the way. She always Yes, she always was. When she and I were classmates, she was also very earnest. Yeah, she's exceptionally earnest. So here's the story. When you actually read the details, it's kind of mind-boggling, and it sort of makes you feel that the earnestness is a cover for something that she must know is actually pretty laughable. The European Commission backed on Tuesday a call from U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen for a global minimum corporate tax. But it said its rate should be decided in talks with the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD. Yellen said on Monday she was working with G20 countries to agree on a global corporate minimum tax rate to end a 30-year race to the bottom. That's a quote on corporate tax rates. And what is the U.S. plan for the corporate minimum tax? It would be 21% the number to which Donald Trump cut the U.S. corporate tax rate. I mean, doesn't that, in a way, say that this whole thing is nothing? I mean, I know she looks earnest, so you know you want to think she must really mean it, but she must know that this whole thing is just a scam. It's like a political show. Yes, I think she understands perfectly well that this is a political theater designed, I suppose, to enhance the chances of getting something through the Congress that looks at least a little like what they're proposing. You have to be very careful, and everyone listening to the program has to understand that the rates you're talking about that we've been discussing are what are called posted rates or published rates. They are the official rates. Almost nobody pays that because there are legal ways to reduce how you calculate what your profit is and how you calculate what exactly is the rate you have to apply to whatever it is you call your profit. And so it's so laughable because in economics, where we've understood this for decades, we have a second number, which is called the effective tax rate. This is an effort by statisticians to take into account the various ways, and they vary from country to country with whatever laws each country's capitalists have been able to get through their parliaments, 
it tries to take those into account to say, what's the actual rate uh, paid? So for example, for the years before Mr. Trump lowered it, when the official rate in this country was 35%, the general estimate of the effective rate was around 26 or 27%. If you keep that in mind, then you'd know that if Mr. Biden gets his 28% posted rate halfway back to the 35 it was under Trump, but then you allow for the evasions and the loopholes, they'll end up being in the United States somewhere in the neighborhood of 21, 22, maybe 23%. That's close enough to a 21% international minimum that there would be no incentive for American corporations to leave. They wouldn't get much better in those other countries, or at least the differential would be relatively small. And it would be exciting if they could get that for the United States, because give you an example, the two biggest, I believe you even said this uh, last week, Brian, the two biggest corporations in Ireland, if I remember, are Google and, I don't know, perhaps Microsoft or Amazon, one of them, or Apple, right? And they're there because Ireland has been one of the most outstanding abusers, if you like. They have the corporate tax. Last time I looked, that was, I think it was 11%. So, of course, Apple moved production out of the United States and moved it to Ireland because instead of paying a posted 35, they only have to pay a posted 11. And after the exemptions, even less than that, that's the kind of huge differential that makes companies move. A small differential, which is the best that Yellen could hope for, will lessen that. But of course, the Europeans have different fish to fry. They want to entice American companies to come there on the one hand, and they want to punish the Irish for taking companies not only from the United States, but from Germany and France and Spain and Italy to move to Ireland. These are games being played by the different countries. And by saying it has to be decided by the OECD, what you're effectively saying is, A, the United States is not going to get its way. B, there's going to be an endless amount of horse trading with no guarantee that any agreement will be reached. But that's okay because what this is for is theater. It's a way for the administration of Mr. Biden to try to persuade business to be less hostile because, look, yeah, we're going to raise the posted rate to 28% on you, but We're going to be pushing other countries to raise it so there will not be an incentive. You will not face competition from others who've been able to move to a place where taxes are very much lower. It's a promise of something they'll try to do. That's all it is. Will it have bigger impact on American business? My guess is no. We will leave it there. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com, and that's rdwolff.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
we can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.